0: Contractors' journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. Welcome to Hammer and Grind, the podcast built for contractors. Real contractors, true stories, real solutions. My name is Brad Hebner, and I will guide you on your journey to mastery of your construction business. You can find Hammer and Grind on all the social media platforms. Just search for Hammer and Grind Podcast. Now, if you're looking for more help, you can check out our free Facebook group called The Contractor Profit Group. I do free trainings in there and it's a great community to be a part of. Now, if you're serious about making more money, saving more time, and creating a business that supports your lifestyle, check out my paid coaching group called The Profit Club. I've put together a proven system for creating a winning business. Now listen, I'm so confident that you will succeed in my program. I'm now offering a 10x ROI guarantee. That means if you don't make at least a 10x return on your investment within a 12-month period, I will refund you the full amount. You can find out more information about The Profit Club at hammerandgrind.com forward slash Club. All right, on this podcast, I got another special guest today, Travis Gunter. Travis is the owner of High Sierra Remodeling and Construction in Reno, Nevada. And Travis, tell us a little bit about like what t- I know remodeling is a broad term. So like what is that? What do you guys specialize in? What what do you guys do?
1: So we're a general contractor. Most of our in-house work is kitchen and bath, lots of tile, lots of cabinets. And we will take almost anything. We have a good subcontractor network. Um, you know, we're working on a project that we're not even going to put any internal work into, and the homeowner wants it done right now. So we're up for the challenge. We're going to sub it out. So realistically, anything that has to do with people's houses.
0: And you have a you do have a business partner, correct? I do. Yeah, he's half owner in the company. Okay, so you, there's there's two of you, and do you have any full time employees? We had
1: two. We're down to one now. And we have another one starting here, hopefully in the next two
0: to three weeks. Well, I think everybody can relate to that statement right there. <laughs> everybody, yeah. everybody knows the whole thing about having so many, not having as many, hiring, starting. I can remember lots of times where I remember one time I hired this guy, and he he was a little cocky. I mean he but he kind of had their resume to back it up and he was uh, supposed to start on a Monday morning and I was actually working on my own deck at my house. It was like the hottest week of the year, like a hundred plus degrees and eight o'clock shows up. He's not there. I called him up. I said, dude, like, where are you at? What's going on? He, oh, I took another job. Yeah. I took another job. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a travel job pays more money and all this stuff. And I was like, what the, oh my like, God. What the hell? Like, why didn't you just tell me that you could have just said, Hey, I'm not going to be there Monday. And what's funny about that story, though, Travis, is like three months later he calls me up. Hey, man, uh, I talked to you a few months ago about a job, and you know, uh, I ended up taking this other job, and it's not really working out. They got me traveling all over the place, and I just wanted to see if, you know, if you still had a position. And I said, Yeah, I do have a position, but not for you. I mean, <laughs> if you would have just, you know, if you would have just told me ahead of time that you were taking another job, I probably would have given you another chance, but. Like that stuff is blows my mind. And I know a lot of contractors relate to that. So that's, that's I hope for of, you, the guy shows up in a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, well, he's coming from Texas and, uh, and we've gotten phone calls for employment verification and income verification. We're keeping in touch.
0: So kind of wait for him to get out here. So how did that come about? Because that's an interesting topic. How did you hire someone from Texas? Uh, shoot
1: we had a he was kind of angling to move down to reno already and we had a job posting open and he put into it and we liked him enough that we're willing to wait for him to show
0: up okay so you he just found he's he's moving to reno maybe for a a spouse for somebody or for whatever reason he's just moving out there he was going to move out to reno already he was looking for a job so gotcha okay i've had a few of those types of people too that move in and, you know, are moving here and they're looking for a job. And, and then, uh, so I understand that a funny story. One time I had a kid and he was, he was, I say kid, he was like 18 years old and he moved, he was moving here from not too far away, about an hour and a half away, but he was moving here. And so I waited, he was in the national guard. He was a engineer in the national guard. So engineers in the military do like construction, right? They do bulldozers, build houses, whatever, And so I thought he had a lot of experience. He said, I got three years experience in construction. I'm like, cool. He was a young kid, but being in the military, you know, disciplined, all that stuff. And he he came and I'll never forget this. After he started working for me, I'm like, this guy, this kid does not have that much experience. Like he was really struggling with basic (laughs) stuff. And we were driving one day down the road and I said well, tell me, tell me where your experience is from. I know you said you had three years experience and we didn't really get into like where that was. Like, how did you get three years experience? He goes, oh, that's in the National Guard when you go through school, which school was like eight weeks long or whatever it was for engineering school. They tell you at the end that this eight weeks that you just went through is the equivalent of three years of real world experience. That's what that's what he told me. <laughs> Driving down the road, and I was like, "Yeah, man, I wouldn't oh, tell anybody buddy. that again because that's not that doesn't <laughs> that oh, doesn't buddy. translate well." Oh, buddy, that poor kid. That poor so kid. he he was he was a good kid, man. I tried to help him out, but some people they just you know they got to help themselves out first. So get it right. Yeah, they just don't get it. So, anyways. So let's talk some shop for a second. I know you do a lot of uh, tile, like you personally, and your company does a lot of tile as part of like bathrooms and stuff. Is that kind of like your, would you say your main skill set, you personally?
1: No. (laughs) Okay. Um, I started out with a remodel company, so my skill set is fairly versatile across everything. And I'm, I am personally not particularly s- adept at any one thing. I could be better at everything. And my business partner is the tradesman. Like, oh my God, he is, he is someone to look up to in the industry. If you knew him and you knew the way he worked and the way, he, like, the way this dude thinks about things, it's just different. He's got like an engineer's mindset, super analytical and process-based. But he does production work with it. So he is the go-to guy for anything that's complex or out beyond just like the basic, you know, slap and tile on a floor, which is what most of what I do when we do bathrooms. I'll be running the floor and he's built the shower because that's all the complex layout stuff. I could build a floor. With. but um I you know I do drywall, I put cabinetry together, framing baseboard trim finish doors tile i personally love setting tile i enjoy it the most but i would be hard-pressed to say that like anything in particular is my primary skill set out of anything i am
0: the best at running the shop okay when you say running the shop you mean like the business side of it or the or the actual physical like running the jobs production side of it both Okay, managing so,
1: schedules, managing timelines, ordering production, and sales, doing all the business and accounting stuff.
0: So, how do how is your structure set up? Because I know a lot of people listening to this are they probably have partnerships, right? And so, how how is your particular business set up in terms of responsibility? What do you do, and what does your business partner do?
1: So. We both do everything. Like if I need my partner to handle something like write a bid or go to a consult, I just, he just does it and it's handled, but that's primarily my focus. And if I'm not doing those things, then I am on site, like I am today doing production. So we both riff off of each other, but primarily his is in building and mine is in management.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And I know I know that you've been working on your business a lot over the last six months. I mean, really diving in, trying to create the processes, figure out a system that works. How, how has that been going for you and your business?
1: I think we've got everything settled to the point where we are now in our business where we're trying to run two jobs at a time with two crews. Um, so we're, that's where we're systemizing scale to at this point. It's been going pretty well. We had some humps and bumps. You know we, like I said, we're down to one employee and that's because we had to fire the other guy because he was um, yeah, it's oh uh, God, Brad. but you know we're we're ready to pick up that second employee and put him to work and run two crews.
0: Are you going to run two crews, like, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Are you going to run two crews, like one sub crew and then in-house crew? Or how are you going to, how are you going to structure that?
1: They're both going to be in-house crews. Okay. Um, So we've got my partner and I, and then our helper. And then that helper is going to belong to our new journeyman lead guy going out and doing smaller projects. And then we're also going to be running a couple of sub projects in parallel, which is fairly easy to manage it's and once we get it set up and rolling i pop in every other day just to make sure it's going on okay and let them go about their business
0: yeah Th- that's kind of how i ran my business was a was a hybrid i call it a hybrid where you have your you have in-house people and you have subcontracting crews and you kind of co-mingle do both it's hard to do a hundred percent sub only because there's still things that need to be done, right? You, a lot of times, somebody's got to put the floor protection down. Somebody's got to haul the trash off or whatever it might be. Somebody's got to set up plastic, all those different things, these little things that have to happen on a regular basis. And if you're just doing sub-only, that usually is you doing that work, you know, half the day and the other half of the day, you're trying to run jobs. And if you're doing a sub-only model, a lot of times you got to have three or four jobs going at once to, to make it worth your while, so I like, I personally kind of like the hybrid approach. It's interesting. Some of the challenges that I had in my business was just keeping everyone busy, like keeping my employees busy, because a lot of times, you know, you're subbing out a job and they're just going to be whatever it is. But then you also got to sell jobs and, and, and have your guy keep your guys busy. So it's almost like the, sometimes you almost have to choose between, am I going to sub this job out or we're going to have to put our guys on there because they need work? Have you ran into that problem yet?
1: We almost, we're on this project here. This is a hybrid job where we're doing a bulk of the work in-house, but there are some specialty trades that we've subbed out. We subbed out the install of a steam unit and major electrical work. And then we're sitting here, we've got a bunch of, open walls that we need to sheetrock and finish. And we were thinking about subbing out the sheetrock work because, man, those guys are insane. They can hang it, finish it a week. It's you know, 40 boards in three days. It's wild. But, and then we're like, but if we do that, we don't have anything to do for a week. We're just yep. kind of sitting here playing with our thumbs. So at the end of the day, we decided that we're, we're just going to hold on to it. So we, we do you know a majority of the work in-house. Um, we've yeah. got another project it kind of in the pipe where it's like a skylight concrete refinishing electrical and paint we don't do any of that so that's going to be a hundred percent subcontracted job and that's what i'm saying like where i was saying that i could just pop into the job site for an hour or two make sure everything's running smoothly and go back to what i'm doing
0: right right because you gotta you'll have your your crews doing their thing you don't have to worry about being there just when you're there you're an extra help you know you're an extra hand to get the job done quicker uh, I know a lot of guys are probably, you know, maybe want to get to that point and they're still small or maybe it's just them and one helper, right? And they're they're the they're the lead, they have a helper and they're on the job 24/7. And I'm sure you guys you and your partner started out that way. It was probably just the two of you when you first started, which is a little oh, bit different because you when you have a business partner, you know, you're equally invested in the company and so it's and you're probably somewhat equally I know you said your business partners much better at the trades, but I mean, you still, you can hold your own. And so you're equally skilled Mm -hmm. in that sense versus a kid who has no experience and he's just fetching boards for you and grabbing your tools. How is that journey for you of like starting? Let me back up. When did you start your business? How long you been in business? Uh, Started
1: as a handyman in September, 2020 by myself. Okay. Uh, January, 2021 brought my partner in so really it's really started january 2021
0: yeah so you're only like a year and a half in to your business Mm -hmm. really and then how did you go from doing like handyman stuff to doing bigger projects
1: it was a natural evolution i was doing the handyman stuff and somebody would be like oh you're here fixing this can you look at my bathroom or, you know, I've got a hundred foot fence that I won't put up. And it's like, I can't do that by myself reasonably. I need someone to do it. I can sell it for two people. So it's like, look, you, I've got this work that I need two people to do and I need your skill set. You want to do the thing with me? And he was at a point where he wanted to leave his company that he was with, that I used to be with. So it just kind of worked out. I dragged him in. and We started doing little projects. Um, our company name was different. So the marketing was already, or the the demographic that we were ended up targeting was entirely different anyway just because of the company name so we were hitting smaller projects. oh my shower is broken can you come rebuild it right. or little bathrooms you know so we were capturing small projects and that was great for the two of us and then we went to get our contractor's license and the state said hey you need to change your company name somebody already has that it's a licensed company I said fine so we picked one that captured a bigger demographic remodeling construction versus home repair and almost as soon as i changed the web listings the leads started tripling and quadrupling in in, um, cost and scope instantly at that point we're like we need more people so it was a slow crawl into a natural evolution of starting out as a handyman to being a full-blown renovation and construction
0: company yeah. And that's the exact same path I took. I started out as a handyman because I really only had like $1,500 cash in the bank. I had a truck and a few tools and I'm like, well, I can't really start a full blown remodeling company. I don't have the team. I don't have the tools. I don't have the, the the financial aspects. So I started out as a handyman and that like, just like what you said, Hey, why, you know, you go out there to clean their gutters. Right. And it's like, while you're here, would you mind looking at this? I need a new front door. Or it's, hey, my bathroom is, I was thinking about getting a bathroom model. Do you do that kind of stuff? So, that's interesting that you had the same path. Now, I I through my business, I maintained both aspects. So, we did handyman and remodeling. And really, the handyman side of it was for kind of like what we talked about earlier. It just kept us busy. The handyman stuff kept us busy all year round. But the handyman fed the remodeling business because, you know, someone, it's it's very easy to to take a risk on someone to have them come out and, like, fix your front door because it's, you know, squeaking or doesn't close right, right? And it's it's only a few hundred dollars to do that repair. It's easy for someone to, to take that risk if they don't know you. And then when you're there and you're professional and you're wearing polo shirts and you're embroidered, I had, my company was dressed to the nines and professional. It's super easy for someone to be like, And you guys got your crap together. I got a bathroom remodel. Would you like to look at it and give me an estimate on it? And I'm like, yep, sure can. And so most most of our remodeling business actually came from relationships that we established through the handyman side of the business. So it's an interesting dynamic. I would say this, though, about the handyman business. It's extremely, extremely difficult to scale a handyman business because we would do, on average, we would do 300 jobs a year. That's a lot. That's a lot of scheduling. That's a lot. That's a lot of scheduling. That's a lot of phone calls. That's a lot of leads to go through. That's kind of what helped me get really good at managing leads because we would get, I'd get six, seven hundred leads a year that I had to go through. <laughs> um, and that's a lot. That's a lot, man. That's a lot. <laughs> These, <laughs> when I, when I hear contractors, no I'm, I'm good, bro. Yeah, <laughs> when I hear contractors talking about man, we do, we do uh, 15 jobs a year and I just have so many leads to go through. I'm like, well, how many leads you get? And they're like, well, we get about 75 leads. And I just laugh at them. I'm like, dude, I get 75 in one month. Like, that's easy. So what's your take on the contracting industry as a whole right now, at least in your area? What do you see going on in general with contractors, like just the, the industry?
1: Am I allowed to use foul language on this podcast? Uh,
0: you can. I just keep it to a minimum.
1: It's a shit show. (laughs) It's bad. It is. The one project I was just talking about where it's going to be all sub work. They called me up and they were telling me their story. And I think I've talked about this on Facebook, but they um, they had a bitch from the Contra, the GC. And uh, they had it all lined up. And the GC was like, you know, I think the Skylight is going to be more expensive than it should be. So I'm going to try and find another bit. They're like, okay, cool. So the homeowner's gone on vacation for two weeks to Europe. They come back and they hit up the GC and they're like, "What's up? What's going on, bro?" And the GC's like, "Oh yeah, while well, you guys were gone, I signed two other projects, so I can't do yours anymore." Who does that? Like, you just to just bail on people when you're supposed to be forty five days out from starting the job. You're just gone. That's and I hear that all the time. I hear all the time that so many contractors don't show up. I'm working on a proposal now for somebody who's been trying to get a bid for six months they haven't even gotten anyone out to the house it's you know the the way the thing everything is right now with the demand and the shortage of skilled trades it's anyone could go out chuck in a truck stand in a van and just be like i'm a contractor now and they didn't go to contractor school and they have like six brain cells to rub together. And they're trying their hardest. Those <laughs> six little brain cells are trying really hard. But they just can't figure it out. They can't put the ego away. They can't do the time management. They're jumping in the truck, running out to every person who calls. And they're just failing, dropping the ball. And that's industry-wide, at least in my area right now. Almost every person I talk to, it's like, you know, it's impossible to talk to anyone. It's impossible to call back. It's impossible to in a bit.
0: Oh, I, that's, that's the same thing I hear everywhere. I mean, I hear that exact same thing. Everybody I talk to all across the country and the world for that matter. It's super easy right now to stand out as a contractor. Like if you just do... The bar is
1: so low. It's
0: like what the I'm bar saying, is yeah.
1: below the floor right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: If you just return a phone call, like you're 60% better than everyone else.
1: Yeah. Even I return phone calls for people that I can't help or don't want to help. And they're like, Oh, I really appreciate you calling us back and letting us know because everyone else is like, nah, I'm not even going to bother. It takes me five minutes. And you know, maybe when their neighbor needs something done, they'll be like, Oh, you know, they didn't do any work for me, but these people are really nice. They return my phone call.
0: I I, I know that you, I mean, you weren't in business during this time, but you, you're you doing the same thing that I did for the uh, basically the same reason, is that the reason why you treat everybody with respect is because you don't know, one, who they know, and two, they may be a future customer just because you can't help them right now, right? So you're feeding Absolutely. essentially the future. When I started in 2009, which was in the housing market crash, you know, people were leaving the trades and like you had to call people back because you wouldn't get to work if you didn't. Like you you may get two calls a week, right? So like you needed every single lead that came in. So you were calling yeah. every single person back because you needed those leads. And so I always carried that forward. And I, even when I was getting 600 leads a year, I would still 99% of the time would respond and say like, at least say, hey, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're, you know, we're booked up. We're not taking on anybody for six months or whatever it was, or we don't do that type of work or call this company, they can help you. Because people appreciate that. So, and, and here's what's crazy about that, Travis. I know you know this, but there was times where I wouldn't call them. Like, I get so busy with running the jobs and being shorthanded and getting so many leads. Sometimes I wouldn't call them back for two weeks. And I'd say, hey, Travis, I know you reached out two weeks ago. You know, I apologize for the delay. I just wanted to get back with you and let you know, unfortunately, I can't help you with that project. But I, I did want to reach out to you. And they they were still appreciative of the fact that I got back with them, even though it was two weeks yeah. later.
1: It's 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 like a simple little gesture Just I acknowledge you. People want to yeah. be seen and heard and feel important. And the fact that you call them back even two weeks later, just a little, here you go. I see you.
0: Yeah. It yeah. I mean, it doesn't take much. Doesn't take much. Although I did get one lady give me a bad review one time. <laughs> because... She sent me an email or she filled out a form or whatever. And she's like, Hey, I want, I need some help with this. And, you know, sometimes you can just tell in the language and the email or whatever, like this person's going to be a major pain in the butt. Right. Like, and that's kind of what it was. And I just responded and I was like, you know, sorry, you know, thanks for contacting us. Sorry. You know, unfortunately we're not, we're not, I don't remember what I said. We're not taking on any more work or we're not, we, we, I can't help you with that project, whatever it was. And it was like a day later. She called or left an email. A day later, I emailed her back, said, Hey, I can't can't help you. And then she responded with like, Well, can't you recommend somebody else? Can't you at least recommend somebody else? And I was like, uh, yeah, I should, I could, you know. Next day I get a one star review on Google because I did not, I, I waited a day to call to email her back and I did not recommend someone else.
1: Can I share a little tangentially related story? Sure. <laughs> In Nevada, a um, manufactured home, you have to have a separate license. It's one we don't carry. So the lady calls and she's like, oh, I need so-and-so done on my so-and-so house, manufactured home, whatever. And I'm like, you know, unfortunately, we're not licensed to do that. She's like, oh, you need a license to do that? I'm like, yeah, you know, we're a general contractor and we cannot touch manufactured home. She's like, okay, well, do you know anyone and I'm like you know I think I might have someone's contact information let me go look and I'm scrolling through my photos I took a picture of the dude's shirt and I couldn't find it I was like two minutes and I'm like you know what I'm really sorry I can't find it I can't help you and she's like well you're good for nothing and I hope nothing goes right for you and she like smashes (laughs) the phone down as hard as she can I'm like "Uh, oh oh, oh, okay (laughs) like uh, she didn't leave me a review I would have been more upset about the review but still it's I don't know. Some people you can't make happy.
0: No, no, you can't. And that, you know, and there's nothing you can do about those people. Um, only thing you can do with bad reviews like that is just drown them out with a bunch of good reviews. So it's always important to get as many reviews as you can. And one thing I always, here's a tip for people listening is whenever someone leaves you a review, make sure you respond to that review. Every single one I had on my Google, I think I had about 122 reviews, and I responded to every all one hundred and twenty two of them because that that just shows that the owner is actively engaged in his business. So, and I don't know. Have, have you had any bad reviews yet at all? No, uh, we have not.
1: fortunately, we have probably about a dozen five stars.
0: That's good. That's good. Yeah. well, here, here's a tip for you and anyone listening. when you do get a bad review, the proper way to respond to that review, Is to acknowledge it. Just say, you know, thank you for bringing this to our attention. I mean, as long as it's not like the crazy lady that I had leave me a review. But you know, thank you for this. Bring it to our attention. Depending on what the review says, and then you know, we've put processes in place to make sure this never happens again. Essentially, it's acknowledging the if you made a if you did if you did actually make a mistake if you dropped a ball or whatever. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. We make sure we never do it again. The reason why that's important is because it shows that you one you're not i mean it, it's almost better sometimes to have bad reviews because it shows that you're like legitimate person and, and make mistakes sometimes people think that when you have like fifteen five star reviews that' like fifteen of them or all of them are from your buddies right like they don't know if they're legit or not and so when you have a bad review use that to your advantage and and don't i remember one time a buddy of mine has a car he he had, he owns a, uh, used car dealership and the lady got on there and left a bad review. It was like, Hey, they told me they weren't going to pull my credit. They did hurt my credit score, blah, blah, blah. And he gets on there and just starts saying like, we told you that we told you it was going to pull the credit. And they start having like an argument back and forth in the reviews. And I texted him. I saw it. I texted him and I was like, dude, uh, you need to like delete those or get rid of it. Don't do that anymore. Because just because of the reviews and what you're saying, I wouldn't buy a car from you. Because you're it's looking like an ass right bad now. Bad optics. Yeah, you're looking like an ass right now. Like it's regardless if they're a hundred percent wrong and you're a hundred percent right. Don't make your people look like you know like it's their fault because you would be the one that will suffer from that. So that's a little mini lesson in bad reviews. The last topic I want to talk about, and I know that this is one of your favorites let' let's talk about contractors who don't charge enough for their services all right <laughs> give me a direction what's, let's go what's your uh what's your thought on that let me let me let me hit it from a different angle would you are you the most expensive in your town that you know of are there others that are just as expensive like what's the ratio that you would say in your town?
1: You know what I just found out say that we're not the most expensive contractor, and I'm upset about it <laughs>
0: <laughs> goals, I man. Was, that's I, was goals. Talking,
1: yeah, I was talking with my homeowner today. He's telling me about the other bids that he had and the other contractors. He's like, you know, you weren't the most expensive and you weren't the cheapest. I'm like, well, wait, we weren't the most expensive. And he's like, no. And I'm like, shit. And I told us straight I'm like, you we're trying to be the most expensive contractor <laughs> in town. <laughs> I don't know what other contractors are charging or are not charging. I do know that a lot of contractors hate charging for materials. The contractor that I used, my partner and I used to work for. I don't, I don't, I wasn't privy enough to any of the details. But I mean, you know, our labor charge isn't much more than theirs. They were charging twelve hundred a day. We're at thirteen fifty. That's not a huge difference for two guys, but they weren't. You know, they were paying skilled journeymen running job twenty six bucks an hour. We're paying ten ten dollars or more more than that um, we're offering better benefits and we're still making more money than that somehow they were always like super just oh money everything we can't afford it we're yeah. over here we've got you know, we've both got new trucks new trailers new tools you've got sets of brand new scaffolding and equipment in the house when we need a tool it's like we just go buy it It's not like we're hurting for cash. It's, oh, we need this $400 joist drill. Go buy it. Run to Home Depot right now. Go get it. We're going to make our lives easy. And the other company was the exact opposite. We couldn't have anything. We just spent two grand on a new tile saw. We just bought three grand worth of shower building materials. We've got pallets of stuff sitting out here that we just buy in bulk. So I can't figure out what they were doing different. But I know what they weren't doing is charging appropriately for materials. They were they had people buy their own materials and they didn't want, they didn't feel right to Like the markup of the materials. They don't, I don't know why should be charging the same markup on your labor. And then, And we were talking about, we touched on a minute ago how contractors like the state of the industry is terrible right now. And it's because they don't charge enough. They're taking every job. They're scared of no, because they don't have enough money to say no or hear no. And it's cyclical. You don't charge enough, hurting for the next job. But you're not charging enough, but you're hurting for the next job. At some point, you either go down or you break the cycle and go up. And going down, it's like bankruptcy. You're out, done.
0: Yeah, because yeah, I call that the the crazy cycle, right? Where you you have to work more hours to make more money. So you're working six, seven days a week. You're working fifteen hour days, just because you need to make more money to pay your bills. And it's like, and and this is where I I think a lot of contractors make the wrong mistake. I've talked about this many times in uh, different areas, but a lot of contractors want to scale. You hear them a lot of times talk about, I need to scale my business. I need to hire more employees because they believe that hiring more employees means they make more money. It makes sense, right? You hire an employee, you pay them 20 bucks an hour, you charge 50 bucks an hour, you make some money off of them. That makes total sense. But what they do wrong is that they don't maximize their profit first. In other words, if you're a one-man show, even if you're a handyman, if you're a one-man show or you have a helper, you're a small team, you maximize how much money you can make first, right? Like you charge the maximum amount that you could possibly get. And then when you can't charge anymore with just the two of you because you're hitting the ceiling with you know, pricing, then you start bringing on people to, to scale, I see people that ha- that they're not making enough money. They're working 60, 70 hours a week and they hire people because they think it's going to alleviate the problem of them not working as much. And all that does Just is exacerbate the problem. Yeah. It scales the problem, right?
1: Yeah. You have to have so, something solid to scale on. You can't, you can't build a house on a pile of dirt. You got to have a foundation under it.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I mean the, it's interesting uh, on the material side of things like you were saying. Even if even if you don't charge if you, even if you don't mark up materials. Maybe you maybe you're the contractor that wants the customer to buy the materials because you don't want to mess with it. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's okay. But if that's the case, then you need to be charging like three times your labor. You need to make up for the markup in your labor or your overhead or profit, however you want to f- label it or call it or whatever. You don't just take your labor and then add 20% on top of that for profit and that's all you do because you will go out of business doing that. That's a fact. Or you will burn More yourself fat. into the ground.
1: Well, see, and you look at a job like that, if you're not charged enough, say you, you know, you're in a labor-only bed on the shower and you have the customer provide all the materials and they decide they want to provide you garbage materials and you're also installing glass. Them damn shower doors are a grand a pop. Yep. And if you're charging six thousand, so okay. Let's let's go like numbers that I've actually seen on on the internet, right? If you charge someone four grand, build a shower, labor only, and it's twenty percent profit, twenty five percent profit, and you break that shower door, gone. Yep, all of your profit has just disappeared in the wind. Literally shattered. <laughs> Literally, yes, shattered. Yeah. Holding it in your hands. Yes, it's, it's if you. Have, you have to charge enough to be able to eat stuff like that because it's gonna happen no matter what.
0: Well, not only that, but you're it's the the hours that you work on the job is not what you're getting paid. Like you're there's profit above the labor itself, right? Like the company itself needs to make money, not just you. Depends who you ask. Well, well, yeah. Well, the, if you ask them and if they tell you differently, then they're wrong. <laughs> they haven't been listening to the <laughs> Hammer and Grind podcast, right? and They're not charging it up. I know. I know. We're in a in a in a common uh, group that focuses around tile installers. I'm not going to say who it is, but you know, there's the the comments and the posts in there are sometimes comical. A lot of times, I just don't even comment on them because it's like not even worth you know trying to comment. But I mean, there's there's some good stuff that happens. You know, comments and posts in there. Uh, the recent one was about uh, working for general contractors. This was like you, you know see tile. me up in that one. Yeah, well there was a couple of them. I don't know. There I think one of them. I don't know if you were on there or not, but there was a couple of posts recently about working for general contractors as a as a tile subcontractor. You know, all general contractors want the cheapest bid and all this stuff, which is not true, by the way. Like I, most of the general contractors I know are not looking for the cheapest bid. But I think this is an important point and you being a general contractor and you having subs that work for you, uh, what's what's important in terms of your subs? Uh, when you're hiring a subcontractor, Like, what's the stuff that's important to you?
1: Well, I think anybody with a dozen brain cells can produce quality work from what we subcontract, rough electrical, rough plumbing. So it's not that. I As long as my stuff passes inspection that doesn't catch on fire or leak, I'm happy. That's like the bare minimum. What is like the number one most important thing is communication for me. I really do not care when your schedule is. I don't care how much it costs, as long as it's not like insane. I understand what it costs to run a business. I understand because we do the in house stuff too. So I'm like not blind to how we need to make a profit. As long as they communicate with me, if I get somebody out for a bid walk with me and they need three weeks to put a bid together. Don't care. Just tell me. Because if I don't know, then I can't manage my client. And if I can't manage my client, we don't have a job at all. I don't have right. a project. You don't have a project. And that's, I f- I straight fired a subcontractor over it. I told him, you know, we had three signed contracts. And I was like, we're done. Shred them, throw them away. I'm not giving you another job. Because I sent them two bids. They said they'd get to them. They didn't call them. They say she's going to do it now. They're in the crazy cycle, 100%. And she would never do it. And then I've got this project that I'm sitting outside of right now. It's $25,000 in stone fabrication. That is not like four grand a slab. We're running five slabs in this job plus the 25 grand in fabrication. This isn't like, oh, Penny, because we're too busy to do it. I needed a revision because the homeowners wanted to take it another direction. I had like four revisions on the scope for the stone, and they just wouldn't do it. They, they did not get it out to me. They didn't get another bit out to me that was a simple one. They'd be like, "Oh, we'll be done tomorrow," and then nobody shows up. And the homeowners are like, "Where the hell are your subcontractor? Where are the stone guys?" Like, I, I, you know, it's so embarrassing to have to be like, "I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea where they are. I don't know what's happening." So it's it's communication. That's that's all I care about.
0: Do you think that the the reason why they don't call you back is because they're maybe it's because of you know they're not managing their time well and they don't have enough time, or is it because they're almost embarrassed, like they forgot to do it, they drop the ball and then they get embarrassed and then they just don't call you back and hope that you go away. Do you think there's that. Simi-
1: I do that. <laughs> I'll be honest, I do that. Every once in a while, I'll catch a lead and i will forget to respond to it for like two weeks. And I'm like, well, I'm not even going to go and that uh, don't bother. and half the time they don't answer. They don't call me back anyway. But um, yeah, it probably is that they're too busy. They forget about it. And then they're just like, oh no, hopefully they go away.
0: Yeah. The one thing I wanted to, to kind of illustrate and, you, and which is what you said, it's, it's not the price point. As what determines whether you hire a subcontractor. It's everything else, right? It's are they making your life easier or are they making your life harder? And usually the ones that, in my experience, the ones that are charging more, like maybe they know their value and they are charging more for what they do, but they're having trouble securing jobs with contractors, general contractors, is because they're not good at everything else. They may be the best at what they do, but they suck at communication. And and I I can make a blanket statement that in general, because we're in the trades, like we're in the trades because we weren't good at accounting or good at IT or good at sales. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're not naturally good at communication. We're just good at fixing things and building things. And so by nature for most contractors they have to develop that skill set of communication and develop that skill set of you know sales and all of those things and that's the stuff that matters the most it's not the actual you know tile that you install it's not the drywall you finish it's not the electrical you do it's none of that stuff it's everything but that and that's the hardest thing as a coach that I've had trying to explain to people that it's not about that stuff. What's your thoughts on that? And we'll, we'll wrap it up after that.
1: I, that's it. And we were talking about the group, the tile group. It's, you know, I do great work. Oh, everyone does great work, You Everyone says they do great work. No, no. If, if, if they call you, they trust you that you can do good work. They've already done their research to determine that you are the right tradesman for the job, but now you're competing against the guys who go above and beyond and sell and communicate, run the books, and who can do it well, who know what they're doing and run and take shit. Just because you're a good tradesman doesn't make you a good business owner. And that's literally the most important thing about being a contractor, being a good business owner, or you're going to go for broke. You have to invest the time in learning how to do these things. And it doesn't matter where you learn it from, just learn it learn how to talk to people. You have to put the ego I'm sure you know, and I know too, we're both tradesmen, that being a tradesman comes with an ego. It's just part of it. Absolutely. There's no exceptions. And you have to like practice putting the ego away and learning things and having a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset.
0: Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself, Travis. So one, one last question on the learning side of like, I always like to ask this question to every guest. What is a current book you're reading or what's one book that you would recommend to someone? One second. <laughs> He's reaching for his book. This one. Yeah. Never Split the
1: Difference by Chris Voss.
0: That's a great one. It
1: is. It's, it's like nonfiction books can be super boring, but you know that, that one is like riveting. It is like you're hooked by the stories that the dude's telling that are relevant to the education. Um, and that, that book is good for sales improvement. I haven't read it, but I do own it. The E-Myth Revisited, I've heard great things about it. I look yep. forward to getting to read it. Really, like anything that you can read that would expand your knowledge on what makes a good business. There, there's something you should read,
0: but um, I think it's getting getting to yes. Don't read that. That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Three three recommendations: Read "Never Split the Difference" by Chris Voss, uh, "The E Myth Revisited" by Michael Gerber, and "Don't Read Getting to Yes." I don't know who re- I don't know who who's the author on that one, but I don't. Know. So those are those are your three recommendations so, from, from for, Travis. For so books, yeah, 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 for sure. There's lots of other things out there that you can, um, you know, I maybe this is the first podcast someone's ever listened to. And if you guys didn't listen to the beginning, I actually do have a coaching program where I kind of teach contractors this stuff. So maybe you might want to check that out too. That's a little famous plug there at the end. So Travis, I appreciate you being on here. Uh, any parting thoughts for someone listening to this, that it's like your takeaway that you want them to like a gold nugget or just a final thought.
1: Don't wait until you're a, out to file for bankruptcy before deciding to get help. Do it now and lay the groundwork for retiring in 15 years before
0: you have to scramble to do it. That's solid advice. I love it. So Travis, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and just have a conversation or ask you some questions or say hi, how, how can they do that? How can people get a hold of you?
1: Uh, we are on TikTok. I am on TikTok at butters underscore high Sierra, uh, Instagram at high Sierra remodel and Facebook is the same. I also hang out in hammer and grind podcast group and tile money, Facebook group.
0: And also on our discord channel, uh, which you can find is that's a search for hammer and grind on discord and you can, you can chat with uh, Travis and I in there. Yeah. So I, again, I appreciate you being on here, Travis, great conversation about the industry and i uh, hope you have a great rest of your day guys if you can uh, if you want to learn more about where we're at you can find us on all the social media platforms too just search for hammer and grind podcast on tiktok as well uh, instagram facebook the the contractor profit group and discord you can search us there so i appreciate you tuning in on this podcast episode and until next time guys you know what to do be the best version of you